right, I'm just going to leave this awkwardly sitting here until we get to that part of the sermon so you guys can be wondering what the heck that's for. All right, um, good morning. My name is Alex. I am one of the elders here, and I get the privilege a few times a year to get up here and uh, go through God's Word with y'all. So um, we are going to be in Hebrews 9 today. If uh, you're using the Bible that's in front of you there, that's going to be, I wrote this down because I never write this down, 1,108. But as you flip to there, um, anybody know the joke about the most famous last two words? What are, what are the most famous last words that somebody says? I do. <laughs> yeah? You ever heard that? No. Okay. Maybe some of you have. So, I, I mean, we joke around about that, right? About kind of this, you're going from this fun, single life of freedom and all this stuff into the monotonous, slow death of marriage and all these things. My wife's looking at me over there wondering where I'm going with this. Um, my parents told me once about a, uh, a wedding they went to where they played Highway to Hell from ACDC while the bride was going down the aisle. Um, yeah, I don't know about that one. That's, uh, that's a rough start to a marriage there. But joking aside... Hopefully for those of you married in here, that's not been your experience. Um, and I can tell you for those who aren't married in here, it doesn't have to be that way. It, 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 marriage is a beautiful, glorious thing. Um, but they do get something right. There, there is a death that happens when you say, I do. When Kelsey and I got married, we said, I do, and single Alex died. I wasn't sure if I should put a pause in there for applause or anything. Um, <laughs> But I, the single Alex died, right? Like that, that was the end of it, and I moved into a new life with Kelsey. And for that life to be really fulfilling and, and life-giving, that death had to happen. You know, it wouldn't have been much of a marriage if I had told her, okay, well, I'll, I'll do the marriage thing, but every other week I'm going to go back to being single. You get me one week, I'm going to be single the next week, right? That's, that's not a life-giving, fulfilling marriage. And this is a theme that you see Throughout scripture, really anything that brings fullness, that brings life to the, the um, uh, fulfillment, I don't know. I keep saying fulfillment. We'll stick with that word. But anything that really fulfills, there's often a death that comes before that. And we see that in life too, right? And, um, meat requires the death of an animal. Plants require the death and burial of a seed. Compost is this wasting away, this controlled rotting of material so that the garden can come to life. You see seasons in, the, in our world, right? You go through summer and into fall, and, and then you have death in the winter that allows spring to bring new life to this world of, of beauty and flowers and all these things, right? And so today we're going to be seeing this theme in Scripture. Um, now, last, last week Paul had taken us through the new and improved covenant, right? He had the label up here, new and improved. And we're going to see a continuation of that today. In fact, kind of the last couple sermons and the next sermon, they just kind of, it's the author of Hebrews doing this one big argument of, of old and new and the superiority of the new. Um, but it's also consistency going from the old into the new. So open up your Bibles to Hebrews 9. We're going to be looking at verses well, we're going 15 to 28, but we're going to break this up into two sections here. So the, the first part of this, we're going to be in 15 through 22, 
We're going to be breaking the sermon up into two sections. The first section is there was a price that was required for our sin. The second section is that price has been paid. So Hebrews 9, 15 to 22. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems us that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats, with water and scarlet wool and hyssop, and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Father, as we go into your word today, I pray that you would just open our hearts to the truth that is in here, that this is not old covenant versus new covenant, that this is old covenant fulfilled in the new covenant, that you had something that you wanted your people to see, to learn from, a, a teacher to show us where we were wrong so that when Jesus came, we would know this is, this is the fulfillment. This is what we needed. Father, open our eyes to that this day. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so as we look at these verses here in 15 to 22, there's a few words I want to draw everybody's attention to. And depending on what your translation is, you're going to see a few words in there. Covenant is in there several times. Will is in there. Um, Testament is in there. Now, this is actually the same Greek word used through all of these. So if you look through those verses there, that word is used six different times. The author is really drawing our attention to this idea of a covenant or will or testament. And what that's referring to is a legally binding agreement, that there is a covenant that has been established between God and his people, and this is the way the world works. That's what he's drawing our attention to in here. And then as you go through this, the key verse in 15 to 22, and you, some might even argue in all of chapter 9 here is, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. This is the truth. This is the way the world works. Because there is sin, there is death. And without the shedding of blood that sin does not get washed away. This is a fundamental truth that the author in Hebrews is getting through to everyone here. So we're going to see in this that purification, redemption, atonement, all of these words that, you know, if you've been in Christian circles for a bit, you've heard a lot of these, they all come through the shedding of blood. From the Mosaic Covenant, through the Old Testament, all the way through into the New Testament. So we're going to see the consistency. The author is going to take us from the Old Testament and take us on a little, little path all the way through up into 
Jesus' death, the perfect sacrifice. But he first takes everybody back to the Old Testament. He takes everybody back to here's how things have worked in the past in order to draw that contrast. So we're going to do something similar here today. We're going to be going through a few verses in the Old Testament. Um, there's going to be a, a couple different things we're going through. You guys don't have to flip there. We'll have them up on the screen here. But I really want to take us through that same exact argument that the author is taking the, the readers through here. So the first place we're going is going to be Genesis 3.21. So note that this is three chapters into your Bible. We're going to see this concept started out. It says, And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Seems like kind of an obscure verse, right? It's kind of, kind of a weird verse to just throw up on the wall. It's not one you throw in a coffee mug or anything like that, right? It's just kind of this awkward verse. But if you look at it in the context, right, it's creation happened. Everything was perfect. There was no sin. Adam and Eve are in the garden. They're naked and they're unashamed. And then they sin. And they look and they're like, I'm exposed, right? And, and there's a lot more to it than just this, but they, they realize that they're exposed. And, and God had told them previous to this that if you eat from the, knowledge of the, or from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall surely die. And the first sign of this happening is God talks to them. Everybody kind of understands what's going on here. God obviously already knew, but the Lord God made for them skins, garments of skins and clothed them. Now, how do you get skins? You have to kill something. You have, God sacrificed an animal in order to provide a covering for Adam and Eve in their new sinful state. So we see a key theme that goes throughout all of Scripture, that from the very beginning, sin has been followed by death. This is a really uplifting message today, right? This is good so far. So we're going to go from that. Now we're going to go into the Mosaic Covenant here. So this is going to be Leviticus 4, 2 through 7. This is a little bit of a longer one, but just bear with me through this. Really pay attention to the theme that you're going to see through this. Hopefully it's big enough for everybody to read. If anyone sins unintentionally in any of the Lord's commandments about things not to be done and does any one of them, then he shall offer for the sin that he has committed a bull from the herd without blemish to the Lord for a sin offering. He shall bring the bull to the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord and lay his hand on the head of the bull and kill the bull before the Lord. And the anointed priest shall take some of the blood of the bull and bring it into the tent of meeting. And the priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle part of the blood seven times before the Lord in front of the veil of the sanctuary. And the priest shall put some of the blood on the horns of the altar of fragrant incense before the Lord. That is in the tent of meeting. And all the rest of the blood of the bull he shall pour out at the base of the altar of burnt offering that is at the entrance of the tent of meeting. So this is, this is the establishment of the sacrificial system that existed from Moses on. It, it establishes 
a, mo a, a mode in which the Israelites could sacrifice animals to atone for their sins. And if you look in the book of Leviticus, there's like 10 chapters of this, of laying out exactly how this works. Not all of it is animal sacrifices, but a whole heck of a lot of it is. A lot of that in there is. And it's kind of jarring to our modern sensibilities that people would do this. It, it feels weird, right, that there would be this death, and it's very graphic. It's, you know, don't pay attention so much to all the details in there, but the overall theme in those verses was they had to deal with this animal. They had to deal with the blood of it. It goes on to continue with talking about what to do with the entrails and the meat and all these things. It's very, very jarring to us. Most of us today, if you haven't worked on a farm or, or gone hunting or anything like that, you just kind of assume meat shows up in plastic in a grocery store and you're good to go, right? <laughs> but that's not how it works, right? And so that's the skull. That's where this comes in. So this is, this is a deer that I got, uh, gosh, six or seven years ago, something like that. But prior to the day that I killed this animal, this was a living, breathing animal. It would go around and eat and breathe and drink water and play with other deer and, you know, all the things that deer do. You know, it's not exactly like Bambi, but, you know, something like that. Um, this was a real, living, breathing animal. And then it turned into meat for us. It, I killed it and butchered it at Pete and Jan's house, actually, on their kitchen counter. And uh, yeah, it, it, and it's, it's a very physical thing. It, it gets all of your senses. There's weird sounds that happen. There's weird smells. When you're cutting through the hide, that hide is not easy to cut through. It takes force. It takes effort. It takes muscle to get through that. It's not a pretty thing but it gave life. And in fact, I'm very proud of the fact that the first steak my son ever ate was from this animal, so I'm very proud of that fact. Um, but the point is that this is real. This is visceral. The, the Israelites experienced this year after year after year. And what God was trying to get through to them is, your sin is that ugly. Your sin is that awful horrendous, heinous, just reeking. They had this example right in front of them of just how awful their sin is. And that's what God's trying to get through to them in this. Is it, it, some people have this view that in the Old Testament, God was just this angry God and there needed to be some pacification. Like he'd just get real angry and, you know, it'd be like in, um, gosh, what's the movie with anger and... Um, can't think of it. Inside out. Inside out yeah. Um, and, you know, it's just like the flames coming out of his head. He's so mad, right? And, and that's what the Old Testament God was. And so then something would have to die to just kind of appease him and calm him down for a little while. That's not the way it was working. The way it was working was God loved the Israelites so much. He wanted them to see, this is how evil you are. This is how much you are separating yourself from me. And so the sacrificial system, the atonement, that's, that's the word that's often used in this, is this phrase atonement. It's, it's not pacifying an angry God. Atonement is covering a debt that must be paid. So 
you know, when you go to a restaurant and you're with a few friends or whatever and you say, oh, I'm going to cover this bill. I'll cover the bill. That's, that's atonement. You are atoning for that debt that you have accrued with the restaurant. Atonement is the covering of this debt. And so we saw from the very beginning that sin required death. God loved the Israelites enough to do two things here. He loved them enough to show them how awful their sin was. And he loved them enough to give them another means of paying for it. So two purposes in that. Pay the debt. Give them a visceral, visual example of the ugliness of their sin. I'm going to go to one other verse here in the Old Testament. Psalm 51, 16 through 17. Before I read it, though, Psalm 51, just to give some context, this is immediately after David is confronted by the prophet Nathan about his sin. So David had committed some pretty awful sin, right? It was adultery. It was murder. I mean, just really some of the worst things that, that could happen in this world. David did them, and he was confronted, and he goes to God, and this is what he says. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Now this could give somebody whiplash if you take the other view of what the sacrificial system was. Because now all of a sudden, David's saying, no, it's not, it's not just about the sacrifice. God wants your heart. That's the point of the sacrificial system. God wants your heart. It's not calming down this anger with flames coming out of his head. It's God wants your heart. And David's recognizing this in there. Does the sin still need to be dealt with? Absolutely. There is still a debt that needs to be paid. The sin must be dealt with. But more than that, he wants your heart. He wants David's heart. There's a similar verse to this um, in Amos where God says, basically talking to the Israelites, I hate your feasts and sacrifices. Hate them. I hate your feasts and sacrifices. And if you're an Israelite, you're hearing that going, but you're the one that told us to do those. Like, that, that was, you told us that. We're doing it. You know, and, it, and God's point in that is, but you lie, cheat, and steal all year long and come to me with a sacrifice at the end of the year and think everything's good. And then he says, let justice and righteousness roll down. Then I will take your sacrifices. He didn't want the sacrifices first and foremost. He, the, the debt, again, the debt must be paid. It will be dealt with. But first I want you. So this is, you know, if we were to look at this today, you know, probably very few of us are looking at this going, oh, man, I got I to gotta get back to the sacrificial system here, right? Very few of us are thinking that. Um, if you are, I'd like to talk to you after because that's, <laughs> I'm just curious. But, um, but no, today this is, you know, if you're going through your week just living however the heck you want to live, and then you're coming here on Sunday, God's telling you, I, I'm not looking for you to come to church. That's not what I want. I want you. I want your heart. 
I want a heart that desires to follow me. And then secondarily, if that heart desires to follow me, then you will desire to come to church and to have fellowship and to worship. But first, I want you. And so we see those two purposes in there. The righteous judge does not let the murderer off. There, again, there must be blood for atonement. There is wrath. God, one of the attributes of God is God is wrathful. We, you can't deny this. It is all through scripture. But J.I. Packer sums up God's wrath very, very well when he says, God's wrath in the Bible is never the capricious, self-indulgent, irritable, morally ignoble thing that human anger so often is. It is instead a right and necessary reaction to objective moral evil. So yes, God is wrathful, and there is a purpose that goes along with that in the sacrificial system. But the second person is, or purpose is he just also wants your heart. God is a God of wrath. He is also a God of love. And so you see in the sacrificial system, God's love and wrath are on display in the sacrificial system. They are both there, fully and completely. Now, maybe some of you are hearing this, and you're kind of thinking to yourself, well, I, I thought like the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, God was wrathful, you know, and today, like, God, God is love. And God, God is love. We, we fully believe that, right? There is, God is 100% love. But in the New Testament, you also see in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. There wasn't like a sudden change that happened between the Old Testament and the New Testament where now no longer is there death needed to cover for sin. That didn't happen. We are still under the sacrificial system today. Think about that. There is still a need for a death for our sin. The difference today is not that that death isn't needed. The difference today is that Jesus paid it perfectly. We still needed a sacrifice. So I, I told you we're kind of splitting this up into two things today. So that was, this was the first point, that there is a price for sin. Okay, so this first section there is a price for sin. And that last verse, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. That's kind of the key in there. So now we're going to go into the second half here. So verses 23 to 28. Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly, as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all, at the end of the ages, to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, 
not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. This is where the author of Hebrews brings the Old Testament and the New Testament to meet. He just established death is still required. Here he's saying, Jesus did it. Jesus did it for you. We look at the Old Testament, and he talks about the high priest going in year after year after year after year to keep atoning and atoning and atoning because he couldn't perfectly pay the bill. The priest was sinful. He actually had a debt he had to pay. Last week, Paul was teaching us on the, the new and improved, and one of the big points that he talked about is you look at the Old Covenant, it couldn't fix you. It couldn't work inside you. It couldn't purify you from the inside out. It couldn't do what Jesus did. Humans could not make a perfect, lasting payment. We needed something that would accomplish that twofold purpose of the Old Testament sacrificial system, the atoning and the getting your heart. But we needed something that would do it eternally, that would do it forever, so that the priest wouldn't have to go in there year after year and offer sacrifice after sacrifice, all these things. We needed some way for it to happen perfectly so that it could clean us from the inside out, so that it could work inside of us. And the only way that God could do this was through himself. Humans were imperfect, and they actually had to pay that debt. Jesus was perfect. He had no debt to pay. He was sinless. He had no debt to cover. He had no bill to pay. He owed nothing, and therefore, Jesus could pay everything. That's the key. That's the difference. That's what links the Old Testament to the New Testament is there was still a death. Jesus did it perfect. Jesus did it perfect in a way where it is eternal. It is eternal and it is also internal. It works from the inside out. Instead of just washing over your sins, it starts inside your heart and works its way out. Christ was the perfect sacrifice offered once for all sin, for all eternity. Jesus' words really say this perfect too in Matthew 5.17. In Matthew 5.17, Jesus said, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish, but to fulfill. That's why Jesus came. To take all of those things in the Old Testament where God's telling the Israelites, you're screwing up. This is how ugly and awful your sin is. You need to fix this. And then comes in and says, you know what? You guys can't fix this. I'm going to fix it for you. I'm going to fulfill all of it because you can't do it. 
And so we see here that, that what purchased our salvation was Jesus on the cross. I, I love in that, that last song we sang, the reference back to the old rugged cross that's referring back to an old hymn. I love that hymn. Because it... it not that it's wrong to have a really pretty cross on your jewelry. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying you shouldn't do that or whatever. But, but the cross is ugly. It's ugly. It's covered in blood. It's these couple of wooden blocks that they got to fit together that held a human body on it while it suffocated to death. It's ugly. It is old and rugged. Death is not a pretty thing here. And, and that, that is what paid for our salvation. There are some views today that want to kind of ignore that part of Scripture, that, that want to say, you know, let's just focus on Jesus' life. He lived a great life. He was a great teacher, right? He's a great person to model your life after. Spurgeon says, the Lord Jesus Christ did not come to earth to make a reconciliation by the holiness of his life or by the earnestness of his teaching, but by his death. Did he live a great life, a perfect and holy life that we should model? Yeah, he absolutely did. Did that pay for your sin? Nope. Did he have amazing teachings that have changed the course of world history? Yeah, he did. That didn't pay for your sins. The cross paid for our sins. And then as we continue on in these verses here, we have a warning and a promise that come along with it toward the end here. He says, and just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. This is a warning to everybody who does not want to accept Jesus' payment, who looks at the cross or Jesus' life or his teachings and says, now I'm going to figure this out on my own. I'm going I'm to earn my salvation. You know, that's when somebody says, well, well I'm a good person. They don't understand the debt. <laughs> they don't understand, no, even the tiniest little sin in your life, the wages of that sin is death. You can't pay it. You can't do it. So it's a warning in here of the only, the only way into heaven is through Jesus' death. It is through faith in him. We're going to wrap this up looking at the last verse in here, verse 28. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time not to deal with sin. He already dealt with sin. Not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. So there's the warning, and then there's the promise to those who have placed their faith in Jesus. He's coming again. He's coming for us. He's coming for those who have placed their faith in the atoning death of Jesus on that old rugged cross. For the one 
who fulfilled all of those Old Testament requirements and promises. He is coming again. And in fact, I, I, I would add to this a little bit. It, I, I know I'm adding to this verse here, but it's through all of Scripture, so just bear with me here. But he's working it now. He is working this now. Again, last week, Paul teaching in, in the, the old versus the new, the, the new and improved, one of the big points that he was making there is Jesus is working in us. When Jesus died, what was, the, what was one of the other consequences of that? The, the veil tore in the temple. The veil tore in two, this big, thick, heavy curtain tore in two. And it was a symbol that God is working in us now, that in the Old Testament, a sacrifice was made outside of the temple and brought into that holy, that holy place. In the New Testament, a sacrifice was made even away from the temple. Heaven came out to meet it, to accept that sacrifice. And so we see today that, Christ, that God is working directly in us. And in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20, this is just one of my favorite verses. I, I love this verse. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? That's referring to the Holy Spirit living inside of you, that God tore that temple and no longer requires us to go into him, but he comes to us. Your body is a, whole, a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. That's that price that Jesus paid. So glorify God in your body. So the heavenly places that this is referring to in here, those are in us now. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit if you have placed your faith in Jesus. So that twofold purpose that we saw in there, that, that the sacrificial system shows God's love and God's wrath. It shows the price of sin here. Today, the two main points that in the Old Testament we saw the price and then we see the price paid, it's all summed up right there. So I, I, I've just got two points on here that I want us all to walk out of here with, just on our minds. When you are tempted to sin, remember you were bought with a price. That it costs. But when you feel inadequate, remember that you were bought with that price. That God looked at you and said, yeah, I'm going to pay that price for you. Father, thank you for being able to be in your word today, for being able to see all of your, all of your word from the very beginning of time to now is telling the same story. That we need you. That we are broken and we need you. That we could not do this on our own. That we couldn't pay the price that that debt was infinite, but that you did pay it. We didn't deserve it, but you paid it anyways. Father, I pray that uh, as we go into the, our week here, um, Lord, that we would remember this, that we would not live our lives, just uh, live our old lives that we should be dead to, but that we would truly live in you 
We love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.